Welcome in to episode number 53 of the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thank you so much for being such a willing participant in this little adventure that we go on every week where we talk media with people from around Chicago. Occasionally we get a great national guest on too. I would highly recommend that when you're done listening to this episode, you go back and you listen to the episode with Laura Oakman, for example, or Sarah Spain back in the day. We had Sarah on. She was one of the earlier adopters, and we appreciate her for being a guest on the show. Last week's episode with Joe Ostrowski has gotten incredible traction. I'm glad that people enjoyed it and they were willing to listen to us talk for two hours because that's what it ended up being, and I thought that it was tremendous stuff from Joe. So with all of them, they're all like my babies I recommend you go back and listen to them. But if you haven't listened to the episode with Joe, check it out. I've been focusing a little bit since the new year started on on younger broadcasters. The episode with Jory Perez is, is pretty good. And this one's good, too. People have been asking for Tony Andraki of NBC Sports Chicago. And I know, like, some of them are part of his family. But there were other people that have seen his coverage of the Cubs on NBCSportsChicago.com and the stuff that he's done on NBC Sports Chicago overall. And we're like, hey, maybe you should talk with that guy. And you're right. I like talking with younger people in the business and find out how what they do is different from what I was doing starting out in the business. So I thought that I would extend an invitation to, to Tony to stop by the podcast. And I wasn't disappointed in the conversation that we had. I think that you'll like some of this because he gives some behind the scenes in here. We also spend a lot of time talking about the Cubs, and I kind of feel bad because I told Tony, I said, look, this is not you coming on the radio show and giving me an update on the Cubs. But since it's such a, since a, since it's such a big part of his life, I thought it would be silly to not discuss what it's like to cover the Cubs. So we we do do a lot of that, and I think that there are some things, if you're a Cubs fan, you'll be able to take away from it. But then we get into who he is as a person and who he is as a journalist, and I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. It's I love when you, I get someone in that I don't know really well, and I get a chance to kind of walk around in their mind. It's fun. It's a lot of fun to do. So. Without further ado, episode 53, if you like Cubs talk or you want to know what it's like for young people in this business in a market like this, you're going to love it. ABC Sports Chicago's Tony Andraki. So how was a Cubs convention? It was good. It was, uh, I mean, it would have been obviously more interesting if Bryce Harper was there instead of the winter storm Harper. But, uh, (laughs) you know, other than that, it was good. Uh, I know... um, there weren't as many fans as I was expecting as past years. It was much easier to get around. I don't know if you had the same experience. Yeah, I, I thought it was weird, especially when the Cubs had said, oh, well, there's we found some tickets for Cubs convention that were available. And I was like, hmm, I wonder where you found those. So I, I noticed the same thing, that it was a, a less volume of people there. Why do you think that is? Well, I do think the storm played a factor. I know a few people, uh, even media members, that didn't come down Saturday due to, like, the storm and, you know, dumping snow overnight. So I think that was a factor. But then, I mean, it's kind of hard to drum up fan interest and pay three, four hundred, five hundred dollars $500 out of your own pocket for each person for a hotel when Daniel Descalso is your big free agent signing. You know, I, I know it's that shouldn't be the case for all these fans. There's so many other things to do than meet the new free agents. But I think it really is the case. And I think... You know, you look around, I mean, the Ricketts did cancel their panel, and just in general, like, fans are not happy with everything going on, and if they're not happy, why would they spend a bunch of money with that? I mean, that's from a few of the fans that that I did talk to that were there, a lot of them said that they were thinking about not even coming, and then when they heard it was going to snow, they were debating, ended up coming still because they bought tickets, but there were definitely more than a few people that told me that they were actually thinking for the first time in seven years or so that they didn't want to come this year. Why do you think the Ricketts canceled the panel? Uh, you know, it could be what they said. You know, they said that it was um, that it was made. The decision was made months ago uh, because they they just wanted to get more interest, and they said that it was the lowest rated, uh, most boring panel. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it also they were going to face very tough questions from the fans. I don't know how fair those questions would have been. I mean, it, it's tough to say the Ricketts aren't spending when 
their you know their payroll is going to be way north of 210 220 million dollars this year that being said i mean there was going to be some tough questions and and probably some unfair questions and if i was the rickets i wouldn't want to stand up there or sit up there and answer those as well so how would you right now how would you describe the cub fan base and you talk about them being angry and maybe having some pointed questions what do they have to be angry about because because honestly like i've been i've been having a lot of fun with this on on the radio show they seem like they have first world baseball problems to me <laughs> yes your your 95 win team didn't go out and spend 400 million dollars on bryce harper boo-hoo it is that i mean it, they are first world problems um expectations have been raised so much to where that's legitimate. I mean, I, I don't blame Cubs fans for being upset that they're not signing Bryce Harper, but there's the other aspect that it's not just Bryce. I mean, one of the questions posed to Theo at the panel at Cubs convention was, it's not even about, you know, a mega deal for a free agent outfielder. I just don't want to hear that you guys don't have the money to even go out and get a middle reliever, as we saw in, you know, the story from The Athletic a couple weeks ago. I think that more than anything, when the bullpen is, is a clear need for upgrading and Theo said as much even just as recently as as during the Cubs convention it seems odd that the Cubs haven't made a move yet but then again I mean everything this offseason has been so slow that it's still you know they could have two three or four moves in the bullpen left to come I've had a bunch of Cubs reporters or people who cover the Cubs in one capacity or other on the podcast and you're younger. You're on the much younger side. How old are you? If you don't mind me 31. asking. 31. So what was it like for you to cover a Cubs World Series? The, really uh, indescribable in so many ways. I mean, I grew up here. I, I was raised a Cubs fan. My mom and sister are diehards, uh, you know, extended family as well, aunts, uncles, cousins. So I grew up rooting for these guys. Mark Grace was my favorite player and all that stuff. So I know the history of everything else. And that was all I wanted to do. My main goal that I wanted to do in my career of sports uh, journalism was to cover the Cubs team that finally ended the curse and won the World Series. And to be there in Cleveland and do that, it was it was an emotional experience, but it was so surreal that, you know, even when I look back on it, it really does feel like a dream of some sort. It doesn't feel like that was real life. It doesn't feel like like this actually happened. So, um, yeah, it was a very, very different experience. You know, I mean, I was only... Uh, what, 27 at the time. Um, and yeah, I had so many people that are in Chicago media, but namely around the Cubs, they, they are older. They've been doing this for a while. I mean, Kerry Muscat started covering the Cubs in the year I was born in 1987. Like there are so many people that I grew up reading that now I'm still like working alongside covering the Cubs. How did you handle or have you handled trying to be objective in your coverage with the the baggage of being a fan of this team since you were a little kid you know honestly it was really easy at first because the team was so bad you know when I, <laughs> I i took over uh you know started as uh patrick mooney's backup for what was uh csn at the time now nbc sports and um it it was you know 2012 i, I covered a handful of games in 11 then 12 then started ramping up a bit in like 13 14 uh and those teams were so bad that it was like I've never been a fan that really gets too down. I don't get angry or frustrated at things. Uh, and, and so that wasn't that difficult. And then it was easy to just build up this um, this compartment. It's all about compartmentalizing, at least the way I, I approach it. So, I mean, there's this compartment where I'm at work. I'm objective. I, I have to write, think, ask questions, act like I'm not a fan. But then there's this other part of me at my core that, like, yeah, I spent the first, you know, 20-plus years of my life as only a Cubs fan who is not objective. And, but I think that also, that's a benefit. That's a, that's an added perspective that, you know, maybe a lot of people don't have or, or can't have or tap into. Um, but it's just a matter of making sure that that fan thing doesn't come out too much. I mean, I don't want to be too high or too low anyways, but yeah, I mean, for years I was just able to, to go to games, realize like this doesn't ultimately matter. They're not making the playoffs. This isn't the year they're winning the world series and just kind of hone the craft of being objective for when they made it to the playoffs and, obviously 2016 run. So walk me through Cleveland and you guys are in Cleveland, you're covering the Cubs and they win game seven. How do you then let go of everything to be able to cover the clubhouse afterwards to make sure that you get the right stories and 
almost put off your celebrating it, the, the fan side of you celebrating it, so the work side of you can get all the work done. Yeah, I, I, that was difficult. It is. Um, but I had such a great team around me as well. I mean, there were so many people there that were able to capture sound for um, for the TV station, you know, for, for anything, for a podcast, everything after. And then, I mean, Patrick Mooney was there writing the main stories. And we had uh, myself, J.J. Stankovitz, Dan Hayes were also, like, supplementing coverage uh, for the web. But, you know, then Kelly Kroll was there for TV, Luke Stuckmeyer. There were so many people around me that I didn't feel so much pressure. Like, I could just go out and do, you know, get whatever I wanted. Like, I got Kerry Wood in the clubhouse that day and what, what it meant to him. Um, I talked to Bill Murray and stuff like that. That was, those were the kinds of things that I was looking for and looking to get, but it was also just so crazy all around. And I was just looking at like so many people didn't really know how to react, didn't know how to, how to operate everything. So that I feel like took a lot of pressure off for me. And then I was just like, okay, whatever I can grab in here is great. And then beyond that, I just, you know, really wanted to get a, a couple corks from the champagne bottles as souvenirs. Did you? Yeah, definitely. I got a... Uh, I think I took home three or four. Uh, I gave one to my mom and one to my sister for uh, for gifts that Christmas that year. That's pretty dope. What was yeah. their reaction when they opened up the box? Uh, yeah, it was uh, uh, my girlfriend and I actually got the one for my mom framed and uh, put like a little tag and stuff. So it, it's a very unique gift because, I mean, she went around, you know, she, she my mom is a huge diehard Cubs fan, and she must have got – 30 or 40 Chicago Tribunes and, and the photo of like Rizzo and Mike Montgomery celebrating. <laughs> she she got so many to to pass around to, you know, family members and she was picking up t-shirts and magazines and everything else. Um, but this was something that you can't buy in a store. You can't buy on Amazon. You can't, it, it's just something else that nobody else had. So, um, so I thought that was really cool. And I know it's just a cork. It's not, I don't know what bottle it came from or who popped that bottle. But uh, but you can always go back to the fact that like that was definitely from the celebration that ended 108 years. The podcast that you guys did during the Cubs World Series around, I thought was some really amazing coverage. I think I told you and, and and Kelly and Patrick about that when you guys are doing Cubs podcast. What what message do you want to get across? Like what is the the focus of what you want the listener to take away? That's a good question. I think each one is a little bit different. Um, each one is almost maybe like a, uh, a kind of a formulaic episode or something of a TV show. But, you know, I, mostly I just I hope to try to inform fans or give them a, more perspective, more context for some of these things. So, yeah, there's a trade rumor about, you know, this player or there's a report that comes out about the Cubs financials or whatever else. And I try to just lend a bit more perspective with the knowledge that I've gathered from, you know, covering the team, but also looking into things, looking into their payroll, looking into how, how a guy might fit on the team in a trade room or, uh, you know, what the Cubs need moving on, moving forward. I try to dive into that stuff and then kind of take away a, a couple smaller parts, um, facts or figures or whatever, and make my point and go from there so that I want somebody to listen to the podcast, any podcast that I'm on, and come away and feel like they learned something or heard something new in a different way than they did before they came, we, even if it's just a story from the clubhouse. How how has it been received, and what type of feedback do you get from listeners? Because I would imagine that that it's a bit of a saturated market. Like people love Cubs coverage. I mean, I know that from producing a radio show on the Cubs flagship station. People can't get enough of it. Do you ever find that you can't produce enough? content for people and they want you to do more week in and week out uh yeah every single day uh i think that's that's just the nature of the business right now too i feel like uh social media and everybody goes through things so fast so i mean i can't tell how many times I, i've spent so much time and effort like on a story or on a podcast and somebody will look at the headline of the podcast or, or the headline of the story and just you know answer and respond to that so those are tough. They really are. And I understand that it happens. I've been guilty of it at times as well. But those are like those are the really tough ones to, to kind of swallow. Um, but it is oversaturated. There are so many people that do such an awesome job covering the Cubs in general in this town that it's not about trying to necessarily separate yourself from them, but just to provide something else. And maybe, um, you know, maybe my perspective growing up here as a fan, you know, it is unique. It's something that I, I hope resonates with, with other Cubs fans at times, you know, because 
it, it's a different perspective than you know somebody who started out in another market or wasn't raised in, in Chicago. And even if they've been covering the team from well past you know Theo's tenure, it, it it's still different. It, it's different to cover it as media and think about it as a fan. So I hope that is something that sets myself apart a little bit. But um, you know, at the same time, we we can't like you said. There's you know if somebody listens to us or listens to some you know a podcast that you guys do here. Or, whatever, I guess that Theo, uh, you know, is, is talking on ESPN radio, anything else, anything else that happens, people are going to go and listen to that. But we just want to be a, a part of the conversation as well. What's it like covering those guys every day? And I, I, I pop in over to Wrigley Field every now and again. But one thing that I've really found about this regime of Cubs management is that I like them. Like, I, I like that for the most part, they are straight shooters. I like that there is an evolution of thought with them that people think that they're, oh, well, they're just crunching the numbers with the computers and they don't take into account actual people. And that doesn't seem to be the case. Well, what's your interaction with those guys been like? Yeah, I think that was the case. I mean, I certainly had that opinion that when Theo and those guys first came over, uh, all I heard about was that they thought that these players were just like pieces of paper. Or if you and I were like playing Madden or MLB The Show and just trading, they thought it was just that. But there are so much more... Um, they look at the human side so much more. They they look around and try to, uh, one of the reasons they pitched John Lester to coming here is what they do for the families and what they do for, for guys off the field. And they really try to look at everything that goes into being a baseball player. And I, I really laud their uh, their mental skills department. You know, they, they keep trying to hire and get into, baseball is such a mental game mm-hmm. and they have to realize that and, and go through that, which they have. So I think more than anything, these guys are just so self-aware. I mean, Theo... You can even see the wheels turning in his head in the middle of a press conference. He is very self-aware. He understands how what he says and how he says it comes off. And that's just something that you don't see a lot in sports. There are not a lot of people who – there are a lot of people, I guess I should say, that are run by their ego and not run by the self-awareness and really trying to to get the message across. And most of the time, maybe nine times out of ten – you know, I see Theo and these guys do that. They, they do care about the fan base. They care about these players, and they're trying to get the right message across, even if it's not always received right. What was your welcome to the show moment where you're like, man, this is – my head is spinning. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Where am I going? What was it like for you? And Give me, give me that moment. Uh, I think for me it actually wasn't covering the Cubs. It was covering the Bulls. Um, I was helping Agra Sam out on uh, – I can't remember what year it was. It was uh, well, it was the year Rose tore his ACL, so 2012. I, yeah, so I was covering that playoff series, and that moment was crazy. Just even the the from the national anthem and how loud the United Center was. It was the first postseason game I had ever covered of any professional sport. But then on top of that, I mean, Rose gets hurt and everything. It was the world was ending in Chicago. But there was like a um, I think a game or two later in the series. Evan Turner was there and he was in the visiting locker room where I went in and uh, everybody was trying to talk to him, Chicago guy. So I was standing there and I, I was still very, very new to being in locker rooms, certainly in post-game, uh, post-season scrums where there were so many people and national people and cameras there. So I somehow got kind of shoved like like very close to, to Evan, you know, maybe a, a less than a foot away. So he was getting dressed and he was uh, putting on his shirt and everything else. And he's like, oh, we're just doing, you know, shoulders up. And I was like, yeah. Or everybody else said, yeah. And so I'm standing there and he just worries about his tie and his shirt and everything looks good. And but he still is wearing the towel. And so I'm like, "Okay, this is kind of interesting, but I was still very close to him (laughs) at that. And I thought it was funny. The towel fell off in the middle of the interview. So I was just standing there and I was so close to him and I was holding my recorder up and I was just looking around and nobody else seemed to notice or register. And he was wearing the dress shirt and stuff still, but it was every it was very uncomfortable for me. And it was like, oh my God, this is this is what this is like. I mean, I'm I, it's just you there's nothing in college that prepares you for that. There's nothing in other moments in the career, sitting in the office or whatever that could prepare you for something like that to happen. That is that is an insane story. That because like you're sitting there, like, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. You're I, you're stuck. Yeah, and he just kept going on with the interview like it was nothing, and I'm sure it probably is for him. You know, they were just shooting from like mid chest up, so it didn't affect anything for the camera. It, I'm sure it was you know just a total accident, and it was only another 
30 seconds or 60 seconds after. But the whole time I was just looking around like, does anybody else notice this? And it seemed like I was the only one who noticed or had any sort of reaction to, to this happening. Yeah, I, I've come to the, the realization after I, I had a rule. And, and I know that it wouldn't have worked here, but my rule was I don't talk to anybody unless they had pants on. Yeah, that's a good rule. You know, like, because I always I always felt bad, like, covering the Bears, you be in the locker room, and we're always trying to get guys before they head out to, to wherever it is. So there'll be a scrum, and people will go right to someone's locker, and then that person feels compelled to talk now, the veterans figure it out and be like, guys, I'll, I'll let me get dressed, or I'll be right back, and then we can do it. But some of the younger guys would just be standing there, and I'm like, this is whether a guy had, didn't have a shirt on or he was in the middle of changing. It just, I feel like that's that should be a universal rule that the, there should be some level of dress that happens before one is expected to then speak to us. I, I totally agree. I, I was asked. Uh, I went to Illinois State, and so I went back and spoke to a couple of college students a few years ago. Somebody asked me something like, "What? what's the one thing that college didn't prepare you for? And I told them this. I was like, it's trying to maneuver while a guy is getting changed, trying to get the interview, and making sure that you know, you're know you not overstepping any boundaries, but also you have to – it's awkward, but you just have to like get over it. And, and it's there's nothing, seriously nothing, that can prepare you for it except for like reps, actually doing it and actually just pushing through the awkwardness over and over again. Because I don't, it's always going to be awkward for me. Every single time that it comes up now, it's still awkward. But, you know, it's it's about, yes, giving the guy time to, to change or whatever else. But if, if other people are shoving cameras in their face, I, I mean, you got to hop in there and get the interview as well. What's your, what's your way to work a locker room? Like, well, how, how have you found success when it comes to interviewing people? Because you get good stuff. I, you yeah. I don't know. I guess it kind of depends on, on every day. I, I go in with a little bit of a plan, but it's very loose. Um, I used to be a lot more rigid. I used to like have questions written out on a notepad and be like, okay, I want to talk to Anthony Rizzo and I'm going to ask him these six questions all in a row. And then I realized that I was just so robotic in doing so that it wasn't a good conversation. It wasn't a good flow. So in my mind, I stopped writing down questions almost completely unless I have to do like a one-on-one -on, -one on camera or something like that. But other than that, it's just trying to go around and I have, I don't know, seven guys on, on a given Sunday morning that I want to talk to in the Cubs locker room. And I'll hope that one of them is available. I'll try to ask one of the Cubs guys, you know, PR guys, if they are, and really just go talk to them. And I have like one or two kind of jumping off points that I want to get to, unless I have something very specific, like talking to Mike Montgomery about a pitch of his or, or Wilson Contreras about his batting stance. Other than that, it, it's more of a jumping off point and then see where it goes. So if they say something really interesting in the first you know answer second answer then I want to spin off that and go there and I think I just wasn't as flexible when I first started out I think I was you know I would go from one question to another and then I go back and listen to it and realize that wow I missed the story the story was following up on you know what this guy said in the first question because I was trying to follow this formula and it wasn't a conversation and I wasn't spending enough time listening to these guys so I try to just listen to what everybody says better you know I honestly it's something I'm still working on it's something that I still struggle on at times but I do think that all of us in whatever industry we are we don't listen well enough like as people and I think that that's especially true for for us in the media myself included and and sometimes just listening to a guy or how it's not even just what they say but how they say it what their body language is like that's what I try to focus on and then see which buttons you know I want to push good or bad for the most part you know like good and seeing going down that route but I don't have a set plan anymore it used to be very rigid and now I just try to be as flexible as possible and flow with whatever's going on no you're right because there is the temptation considering some of the deadlines that have to be met of following a formula like well I need this. This is what my editor wants, or this is what my program director wants. So I need to get that answer. And then you realize that there may be four or five or six different stories that you're missing out on or might be better just by listening and saying, oh, well, that completely changes what it is. I, it's, a, it's a hard thing to master. 
you know, some of the, the really great people in our business have, have got it down on how to, how to handle it. I think in press conferences, it's a little bit different, but there's also the, the idea of having to get your question asked. You know what I mean? Right. Like you have to jump in and you're like, okay, well, what do I jump in with? And sometimes if you are listening, then you're the last person to then throw a question out. But I've found that usually you end up with the better question if you're paying attention and not jumping into the fray just to have your voice heard or your question asked. Sometimes your question is answered from someone else's right, question. Yeah, because yeah, so many people are thinking along the same lines, you know, and I I remember one example from the, the middle of the 17 season. I think it was July Kyle Hendricks was doing his post-game press conference at Wrigley, and they had just gotten back from the 0-6 West Coast trip where I think they played the Giants and then the Padres, and they you know lost all six games. And Hendricks was talking about you know his start back at Wrigley, but the Cubs had won two of three or something like that since the trip. And I asked him a question about you know what the, the tone of the clubhouse is like, and he started talking about how there was a team meeting after the road trip that John Jay had called before they got on the plane following, you know, coming out of San Diego. And so I would, I had like started writing down like, cause I, I just wanted Hendrick's answer from this anyway. And I was like, okay, this is interesting regardless. Then I heard him say that. And I like perked up and I was like, whoa. So I asked a follow-up and then other people started asking follow-ups. Like we, you know, we go in the clubhouse, ask John Jay about it, ask Hayward. And that became the story from there. And truthfully, I almost missed it. I, you know, I wasn't paying enough attention and somebody else might have, you know, got gotten to it, I'm sure, as well in a press conference. But those are the kind of things that, like, whatever I was going to write about is, like, way less interesting than this whole team meeting. And we love team meetings in the media, and fans love team meetings, <laughs> you know, as much as anything. It's like, it's like uh, you know, um, like a donut. It's like this, like, guilty pleasure type thing. But, um, but yeah, that it, it's, I don't know, it's it's tough to listen. It, it is, because it's, there's still some moments where I, I do get, I don't know if starstruck is the right word, but I do realize that like, okay, like I'm talking to to Chris Bryant right now about something. And there are some moments where I can get too caught up in that. Or like you said, trying to ask a question where I might create this kind of anxiety out of nowhere where I'm like, okay, I got to get this question in or I got to do this. Otherwise I'm not going to have this. But in reality, there isn't as much pressure as I feel like a lot of us like put on. I mean, I can find a story any given day, any post game, about anything. It might not be very good or it might not be a particularly interesting angle, but if I'm not paying enough attention or I'm too focused on the, the crap going on inside my head, then I do miss these other things. And that's just one of the things that I have learned um, and one of the things that I know I still have to continue to get better at, especially as one of the younger guys. Let's take the Cubs out of it for a second. Who is your favorite person around baseball to talk about, to talk with? Um, In the game or... Right, whatever, whichever way you want to go. That's a really good question. Um, like when when this person comes into town or you go to their town, you're like, ah, I'm looking forward to talking with such and such. Oh man. Um, I think there are so many different answers. I mean, the I really enjoy talking to Kyle Schwarber. Um, actually, even Kyle Hendricks as well. But we'll take the Cubs out of it. So no Cubs? No Cubs. Okay. No um, Cubs, no Cub personnel, no Cub broadcaster. Gotcha. Okay. Man, that is really interesting. Um, like, I'll I'll tell you, like, from when I was covering, not, not that I was ever a beat reporter, I used to love when Jim Leland would come to town because he was going to give you something. Like, you were going to get an education when you walked into the manager's office and Jim Leland was there and with his cigarettes and everything else. And his stirrups as he put his feet up. And yes. Stuff. Yeah. I always loved when he came to town. Uh, it's for me now, you know who I like? I like Craig Council. He's good. Yeah. And he's got he's got such an edge. He doesn't he doesn't say much and he doesn't speak for very long, but he has such an edge. Like even at the winter meetings, um, Jesse Rogers asked him a question and and. Craig had some sort of like quip after like you as a Chicago writer can can write that. And he always has a little bit of an edge to everything he writes. And sometimes it almost can look like come off like he's like being a jerk. But in a, I don't think he is. And a lot of times it's for humor. But I think he gets it. Yeah, he does. He absolutely gets it. Um, there are a lot of managers nowadays are, are really good at that. I think uh, um, Mike Sosha was always pretty good, too. 
when he would come to town. Like I always found him, he was old baseball-y, but I always found him an interesting person to to talk to about the game itself. Like I, there, there's some people you just go, okay, I'm learning some stuff as I walk away. Yeah, and uh, kind of in the same regard a little bit, but Scott Boris, every time he has talked, I don't necessarily learn something about the game, but I learned something about the market and the business side. And that's something that I definitely do not know enough about. Like this is such a business baseball is. And I focus so much more, you know, like I, this has been my passion. I, I played baseball for, you know, my whole life and everything. And, and I know the game, maybe not like from a major league standpoint beyond as a press, but I don't know the business. I don't know what goes into all these other things. And, and I know that that's such a huge factor of, you know, figuring out options and, and years and opt outs and all this other stuff. And every time Scott Boris has the, these, you know, um, these group sessions uh, at winter meetings or GM meetings or something else, um, he's always been been a really like interesting guy to talk to uh, or, or to be around. You know, it's there's always, what, 300 media members whenever he mm-hmm. comes into town. Because basically he's the guy that's controlling baseball. He's <laughs> from he the player side. He's got so many clients. Yeah, and they're all like the top guys. I mean, people make mistakes. I've heard them, you know, either in talking to him or just otherwise, where they're like, oh, yeah, Manny Machado is a Boris client or, or so on, because everybody just assumes that the best players, like, yes, Javi Baez or uh, Anthony Rizzo are Boris clients. Like, no, they're not. They, they're with these other guys. Um, but, yeah, he, everybody just assumes he has everybody. And in a lot of ways, he does have so much control. And he has, you know, I'm always curious to think about, the the littler guys that Boris has like you know um a guy like uh like Chris Bryant was always you know this top guy even when he wasn't there but and Almora was this you know number six overall pick but when he's playing Kane County in single a I imagine that Scott Boris probably doesn't spend a lot of time talking to Almora himself so it's always um funny to see when somebody asks about a little bit of a lesser known client and Boris has to go through his like catalog of these guys. It's not as readily available as talking about Jake Arrieta last year, Bryce Harper this year, or you know Chris Bryant even this winter. So for you, what do you want to do? Like, what's the the next thing, or is this it? And I'm not I'm not asking that as this isn't enough. Like, this is a great job, and this has probably been your lifelong dream to do this. But now that you're here, is is there something that you like? Well, I never realized that. Perhaps there was more, and now I can do more. Yeah, I mean, honestly, probably every week or at least every month in the job, there's always something that like I didn't realize. There's always different aspects, and there's so many different parts of, of trying to get better. I mean, I never set out to do anything in relation to TV, and I barely am on TV. But even that, like you know, on camera, on any sort of like Facebook live stream or anything, that's always something that I know that I have to work on. Uh, being, a are part you of- comfortable yet? I'm comfortable most of the time, but there are other times where I don't feel comfortable, you know, where um, tougher settings and uh, just different things. I mean, in the GM meetings right after Boris talked in November um, in Southern California, you know, I was standing outside like away from everybody else. I know there are people coming behind me, but I could barely hear. I did an interview with David Kaplan for Sports Talk Live and I could barely hear him and everything that was going on. Plus, there were so many like distractions around me. So that's not comfortable because I'm trying to like make sure I don't break eye contact. Because uh, in Miami to open the 2018 season, I was I was down there and it was doing the same thing. There's just a camera, and it's so weird because it's so much easier to talk to a person, look them in the eye, you know, whatever. And when you're just looking at a camera, it, it's very awkward, and it's not something I have enough reps doing. So when I was doing this this talk back with Kelly and Cap uh, in Miami, there was uh, there was like this group of. Um, I don't know if they're like cheerleaders, but they were like walking by, you know, like the for the Marlins and to to the left. There was uh, of the camera. There was this 200 um, media or not media. I'm sorry, like Marlins personnel people who had just gotten done right before I went on watching this highlight video to pump them up. So they're like yelling and screaming and fired up and all this stuff. Yes. And And you're trying to concentrate. Yeah. And then people walking across and they're trying to set the stage because this was the the earliest MLB game that anybody was playing and they were doing so much. And I kept looking away and I talked to Cap after and and a couple other producers at, at NBC were like, make sure you're always looking on because we see your eyes easily. And 
you know, you're, you keep looking around all over the place. And I'm like, I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think that like I was looking elsewhere, but there were so many distractions. So now when I'm doing that kind of stuff, I'm like looking at the camera and it just feels so foreign because I'm like having a staring contest with something that never blinks. So I feel like I'm going to lose every single time. Uh, so yeah, there are still moments. I mean, there are moments in so many areas that I still feel uncomfortable with this gig. When I have guests on, I always ask, and I think that you've already provided some really good advice for younger broadcasters, especially as it, it pertains to the locker room and maybe stuff that they might not get anywhere else. I think that's a great story. Um, but what else would you tell someone who looks at where you've started and where you're at now and say, this is what you need to know if you want to get here? Uh, the short answer is you need to know everything. I mean, so many people want to do just one thing. They want to be a writer. They want to be a beat writer. They want to, you know, be on the radio. They want to host a podcast. They want to do like one thing or, or kind of one aspect. But none of us do one aspect. We're always wearing multiple hats, sometimes at the same time, sometimes by ourselves because, you know, you know how it is. You, you run and get sound, then you got to, you know, hop on the radio or something for this or, or hop on a podcast, go tweet this. Go. Do, there's so many different aspects that I, it can be overwhelming for young journalists. It was overwhelming for me, too. So I think it's, it's being well-rounded and doing everything. If I didn't do the TV experience in college that I had, which, I, you know, I always wanted to write and I worked for the newspaper, but if I didn't do TV, I wouldn't have even gotten the job that I had. It was through that TV, um, that uh, this sports show called The Lineup at Illinois State, the guy that was the producer, Jake Flanagan, ended up working for CSN. I just bumped into him when he came back to, to college campus a couple years later. He told me about an internship and, you know, it builds from there. I got the internship, turned into part-time, and I wouldn't have done that if I didn't try to make myself well-rounded in college. I just wanted to be a writer, realized TV was a good avenue as well, tried that. You know, it was it was a TV channel that only went to the to the dorms. I mean, maybe 40 people watched this show. You know, it was nothing, but being well-rounded enough helped me for that. But then I think there's also this level of, of ego, and we live in such an uh, maybe egotistical world, but everybody cares about their followers, and they care about getting all these ego scoops at like, uh, you know, so-and-so signed with this team or so-and-so got this, all these things that we'd eventually find out anyways, but credit matters and everybody being first matters. And that's what a lot of people see. A lot of people see the the tweets and the, the followers and the retweets and the likes and all that stuff. And it can be easy to chase that, especially for these kids. And, and you know, I'm still a millennial too, but like the millennials and the Gen Zs and stuff, the people that came up with social media, they want to chase that that high because that's that's something that I feel like they've known a lot and they don't want to be like oh yeah I want to you know I don't want to work from 6 p.m to to midnight or 1 a.m on a Friday Saturday Sunday night doing you know just stuff in the office where I'm not getting to write I'm not getting to tweet I'm just posting stuff stories for somebody else or I'm editing this or I'm you know cutting a video to put up to the site a lot of people don't want to do that because there's all this work that you put in to get to the point and it's it's like a it's a rude awakening, and I've I've gotten that when I've talked to young journalists, and when I've talked to uh, to like college kids, and so many kids come out of college and just think they're gonna jump right into it. And you know what? I thought so too. I thought I was gonna come out of Illinois State and just be like, yeah, I'm immediately gonna be like covering the Cubs or something else. It doesn't happen that way. I worked uh, I worked in some dude's basement um, out in the western suburbs for the Examiner. It was just this na uh, neighborhood newspaper, and I worked there for a month for like minimum wage working like 20 hours a week with with you know 12 to, to 16 of those coming all on Tuesdays we went to print and I did that and I was like this is not what I signed up for this is not what I wanted to do but sometimes like you have to do that otherwise you don't get these other opportunities and until people go through that I don't I don't know that they understand that I don't know that they that they know that there are going to be like these tough times where they work Friday Saturday Sunday nights for you know two years in a row and they have almost no social life. I don't know if they truly grasp that when they're in college still. Well, what pushed you through that that point in your career where you're like, I, this is this is not what I expected it to be. What helped you get through that? Um, that point, it, luckily, it was only a month for me when I was talking about that, like uh, the job in, in like the guys. Basement, yeah, but there but, was, I mean, there was grunt work for you at CSN oh, yeah. as well. I mean, it, it wasn't like you just popped up and and you're covering that you're on the beat with the Cubs and covering them like you had to work up to that so 
How did you not give up on the dream when you were dealing with the hard part? Because there there were still easy parts. There were still the fun parts and the parts that I wanted to get into it anyway. I mean, this was this was always a and it still is a passion of mine. So I always felt like there was a light at the end of the tunnel, which, you know, obviously for me, I was lucky enough to where there was. But yeah, I mean, you know, working part time for the first three years out of college, still living with my mom in St. Charles and, you know, making that um, commuting almost four hours total on the train because I couldn't afford parking down here. Like everybody has stories like that, you know, in in the media business. Um, But it wasn't there were still always little glimpses. Maybe it would be once in a month or, or once, you know, every every few weeks or maybe just one time a week where I'm like, this is pretty freaking awesome. And I, you know, I. Um, I think Alex Brown was was maybe the first like analyst or TV personality that I met at CSN. And uh, there was this, uh, it was maybe a year or two into the job, but there was this person that won uh, some giveaway that we had. And so Alex came into this fishbowl where the digital team used to be there. And he was going to like take a picture, sign the football, give it away to this person. This person's name was Tony like Bellato, I think, or something like that. And uh, the, the person never responded back. So we ended up just putting Bellato or whatever the guy's last name is in quotes, like it was a nickname, then putting Andraki at the end of it. And then AB came in and he and I like took a photo together of him like presenting the ball to me as if I was the fan that won it. <laughs> and so I still have that football. But that was uh, that was one of those moments that like, you know, I, I was I think it was like a like a Friday night or something, uh, maybe a Thursday night that AB was in there for. And it, but that was awesome. I mean, he probably doesn't remember it at all or has any idea. Uh, but though that was something that stuck with me for a while. And I'm like, any moment that I may have wanted to give up or, or you know, go for something that pays a lot more money or, or anything else, you know, you think back to those things and you're like, well, I would never get this weird, random opportunity and story without it. So there's always enough to, to push me through. Um, whenever I felt like, you know, I wanted to turn away or wanted to give up, there was always something that like kept me coming back. Well, I thank you for this, man. This was fun. I'm glad like you were, uh, highly suggested when I threw out to people, who should I talk to on house of L your name came up and it wasn't just family members of yours that said (laughs) that you should be on the podcast. So I wonder, I'm I'm glad that you uh, were able to make timing and come be a part of it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm honored. I know uh, so many different people from, you know, Kelly Kroll and I just uh, listened to yours with Joe Ostrowski as well. So many different people that uh, I've listened to this and gotten different insights and known more about them uh, from listening to this. So it's just a it's a very unique idea. Thank you. I appreciate that because that's what kind of what we were going for. Like it's a it's a space that uh, I don't think was occupied. No. And people do care about media in Chicago. It's strange how much they want to know the inner workings of it. So being able to do a podcast where I can share some of this, I think is cool. And it's, it's stuff like what you were talking about. Like people don't, I don't share as much stuff as I probably should on air about the experience of covering a game. And it's stuff that we take for granted. You know, so I remember when the Cubs were getting ready to play in the World Series, I think it was a league championship series where I was right behind the batter's box. And I'm sitting there and I had the thought of, man, so many people would love to be right here, to be on the grass as the Cubs try to win a league championship series to send them to the World Series. And I took a picture of it. And the response was amazing. Like, it's just a picture. But I was like, this is as close as I can get you, and I'm four feet behind home plate. And it's it's not lost on me how those little, like, anecdotes about what we do are special to people because we have the access and they don't. Yeah, it's really easy to get complacent and, and be like, oh, you know, I'm just going to cover a Bears game or whatever, but... You know, it's like I, I covered the the Bears playoff game first time I, I covered it, and for this team that I grew up watching and rooting for as well. And that, you know, that wasn't lost on me. But like, there are other times where I'm like, yeah, I'm just, you know, ten degree weather. I'm just walking from the L to go cover a Bears game. Just another day at work. But then I like, you know, you walk amongst the fans and you realize that these people are paying hundreds of dollars to go see the same thing that you're going to for free, and then they don't get to go to the locker room and ask these guys questions. And even if they have questions, like. You know, Coach Nagy, why did you not 
uh, give Tariq Cohen the ball as much. They don't have the opportunity to go ask that as well. So it is so easy to get complacent. But then there are these other things, like you said, where if you're like, uh, I think mindful is the right word for it, where if you're like mindful of the opportunity, then it's easy enough to, to realize what like a privileged job this is, if you can even really call it a job in a lot of ways. Thanks for this, man. This was dope. And uh, hopefully you'll be back at some point because I have a I have a sneaking suspicion that you're going to be very famous in our business. Thanks. That's uh, that's really nice to hear. I, I, I So listen, when you become famous and I still have the podcast going on, <laughs> I don't want to get the Heisman from you when I ask you to be on the podcast again. I won't give anybody the Heisman. I try not to for any reason. I mean, it, it um, you know, even things like uh, college students and stuff like that. I, I always try to do any of that because really, I don't know how long this is going to last. Like, I don't know, you know, everything has changed for so many different people where we've seen so many friends leave this business or, you know, not by their own accord. I don't know how, how long this is going to last. I don't know if this is going to be my last time I cover the Cubs or potentially cover a Cubs playoff run. I mean, this might be their last year. So it's uh, it's nice to, to realize all that. But in reality, yeah, it, it could change tomorrow. Tony couldn't have been nicer. It was great to sit down and chat with him about his career, his aspirations, the road that he took to get here, how long it took him to get here. I, re- I really like that. I'm glad that he was able to make it happen, that we were able to get him on the podcast. Now on to your emails. We do this after every interview. House of L podcast at gmail.com is the way that you can email the podcast with your thoughts. A lot of people send me guest suggestions. I enjoy those. Sometimes it's just feedback on previous episodes. And I, I look forward to that because it helps me try and make the podcast better and better. This one from Carson. Hi, Lawrence. In general, I love your work. Just listen to the Joe O episode with limited air access. I always thought he was an interesting guy, and the pod brought it out very clearly. The comments on radio, the score were refreshing and therapeutic. I think I can read between the lines regarding recent changes and hope for a better day where the true score tapestry is highlighted and promoted. That's from C. Um, I don't think that Joe was throwing any shade. I think he he's not that dude. Like, if he's got a problem with something, he he says it up front. So there's no reading in between the lines. But I do think that the the product that he and Barry created is a really difficult one to duplicate on Hit and Run. And I love those guys. Like, I, I love that show. It was appointment listening to me. But I'm glad that you liked the episode because Joe came out here and absolutely brought it. This from Kevin. Lawrence, love the show. Been listening since day one. I especially love the Joe O episode from this week. The more inside baseball you get, the better the episodes are, in my opinion. But I'm a big journalism media nerd. Yeah, well, the podcast is totally for you. Like, that's what we're doing. I know there's always concern about episodes being too long, but from listening to your pod and listening to other podcasts where they just let it ride, that's where you get the best stuff. I'll listen to an episode, whether it's 45 minutes or three hours, and I know a lot of my friends are the same way. I'll start an episode in the morning and then finish it at night, so let it ride. Also, I'd love more Inside the Score stuff. Know that can be touchy, and there's only so much that can be public, but it's interesting as hell. I mean, we try to tell you as much as we can. (laughs) If you look at the interviews that I've done with people who work at the score, I mean, they're pretty damn honest about it. So I appreciate that. This from Larry Moffitt. Hey, can I get a Club Dub shirt? I've been a listener since day one. Love your radio show and House of L. Send me any questions and I'll get them all right. Okay, well, we'll see. I'm probably going to do something next week on Twitter, maybe this week on Twitter. And I've got three Club Dub shirts. If you don't know, Club Dub, uh, the that's what the Bears call their little celebration room that they're in. So I got three of those shirts that I'm going to give away to listeners of this podcast and they're courtesy of the guys at bandwagon champs who sent me some awesome other like Chicago shirts, including like a Hyde park shirt. I was very excited about that. So you'll see me modeling some of that stuff on Instagram soon, but yeah, I'm going to give out some club dub shirts to people. And I wanted to give them to people who listen to the podcast regularly. So I'm going to come up with a couple questions from different guests in the podcast And 
the first person who gets them right is going to get themselves a Club Dub t-shirt. Now, look, I only got three. They're in medium, large, and extra large. So I'm going to let people know which one I'm giving away, and then you can decide if you want to play for the medium or, or extra large shirt. This from Gabriel. Mr. Holmes, it was an absolute pleasure. Your interview with producer Joe Ostrowski, it definitely shed a bright light on the media scene. His work exactly what I had hoped to do when I interviewed for an internship with Abby back in the day. Oh, yeah, that's our guy on the boat. And he said, I will try to find some entire representative of the USS Ronald Reagan at some point so it would arrive at the score. Yeah, I, I, I figure, I mean, I'm a non-Navy guy, but anything that I could wear that would be allowed would be great. This one from Aaron. I started listening to the podcast starting with Cheryl Scott, Sarah Spain, Sarah Spain, and Barry Rosner. From there, I picked and chose which episodes I listened to. But starting with Jim Rose's episode, I've become a full subscriber and have gone back and listened to episodes that I skipped. You're a very talented interviewer, and I love your show. For me, if it, I find it very similar to my favorite podcast, Mark Marin, uh, WTF. There's a reason for that. He's a big influence on what I'm trying to do. Like, I love WTF, and I wanted to kind of, honestly, like, this podcast is, like, the brain baby of WTF, Bill Burr's podcast. That's why I brought the emails in, because of the way that he does it, though he does it really funny, and I can't, but whatever. Um, And Richard Deitch's podcast. This is kind of the brain baby of those, with our focus being on people in Chicago and Occasionally we branch out, so I appreciate you see, seeing that uh, and, and and digging it. That's a high compliment. I don't have any interview suggestions for you. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep up the excellent work, and that's from Aaron. We will do our best, man. We're going to try. I got some ideas for different people that I want to get on the podcast soon. I need to get Dougie Styles on the podcast. I've been promising that. I don't think it's fair that I have Roman on. I haven't had Styles on the podcast so expect him to be on it soon. Mary Dixon from XRT is another person I've been dying to get on. I just need to actually reach out and make it happen. Ryan Baker, Siafa Lewis, uh, a couple other people. So it's going to be a fun year. Like this season, or what I'm calling season two, it's really, really fun and very, very exciting. So thank you once again for listening. It's appreciated. I'm looking forward to episode 54. Oh, and for people who've been wondering, yeah, the White Panther episode is on the way. We just have it's weird. We live in a house together. We just haven't figured out the time to do it. So I promise it's gonna happen soon. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next week.